Welcome to Laughter for All. It's the podcast with comedian Nazareth. We're on. We're on. And uh, we're going to start. Okay. And um, I'm so fortunate to have Dennis with me. So let's see. We to be are going to start off. Yeah, we're going to start officially. I'm going to introduce you. Here we go. And if you see me, I'm going to share this to share it to my page. Uh, share now. Okay. Uh, hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Laughter for All podcast. I'm comedian Nazareth, and this is our episode 34. Can you believe that? We were in the studio for the first 30, and then this... Uh, pandemic happened and we had to move into home so we put a studio at home and it's really a good idea because now I'm getting people that normally on the road all the time and they can't be home and they're on tour so we got them home and we got them on the podcast so I want to tell you my my guest today is a friend of mine and he's a very very funny comedian actually right now he has the probably the top uh, uh, what do you call it views on uh, dry bar 51 million in one show, another millions, millions of views on his, uh, on his comedy. So he is an amazing guy. And he also a veteran. He was in the Air Force. And we'll, yep. we'll talk about that. So uh, let me introduce him officially. Uh, Dennis Gaxiola is, uh, he is, uh, what, he's from Southern California. And I cannot find his intro here. So I'm, I'm going to introduce him. Uh, this guy been headlining all over the country and all over the world, and he is a clean, clean comedian. He's Latino. His comedy is wonderful. It hits home when you have 51 million people following him and uh, watching his uh, videos. He hits home. And he's a brother in the Lord. So, Dennis, welcome to the Laughter for All. How are you, brother? I'm, I'm blessed. Blessed to be here with you. Thank you, Nazareth. Where is home for you? The Bay Area. I'm from, I'm a Northern California boy. So yeah, the Bay Area is home. Where? Like what city? I grew up in Berkeley, but I live in Richmond now. Oh, you grew up in Berkeley? Yeah, I'm a Berkeley boy. Now, how is comedy doing your comedy in in San Francisco or in the Bay Area? Um, within the church community, great. But um, the clubs it may, that, that I used to perform in when I wasn't working as a clean comedian, it, that becomes a challenge because they, you know, they... They think, oh, you're just a preacher now. You're just a Christian now. But they, they don't realize funny is funny, you know. That's right. Funny is funny wherever you go. And uh, exactly. yeah, yeah. But we know, I mean, everybody knows, even in California, the Bay Area is one of the hardest if you're a, a Christian comedian or you're yes. just trying. Yeah. If you push that, that, <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> work. So um, tell us, you were, you were born in Berkeley. Yes. Then what happened? <laughs> I I, <lived. laughs> I want to hear the story. I want to hear your story. Well, you know, growing up in a multicultural family in Berkeley, the most liberal city in the country, Berkeley is considered the yeah. most liberal city in the country. Um, and joining the Air Force, boy, you'd have thought my, you know, I told my neighbors I was a, I was a Satanist or something when I told them I joined the military because that just made for like, oh, you don't do that coming out of Berkeley. You know, when I was a little boy, I remember the Vietnam protest going up the street where we lived uh and i was you know i was like four or five years old i remember the army trucks going up the street to stop the riots so it was very much an anti-military anti-conservative town 
but I survived. A Latino in a conservative town came out conservative. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you, you know, so you went to high school and then you joined the Air Force. I, I messed around in junior college for a while, had some jobs, but it was always, you know, uh, something I wanted to do. My one of my uncles I was very close to was in the Air Force, so having the opportunity to join, um, I just. I went for it. Fine. I was 20. I joined late. I was 21 when I joined. And uh, once I got in, boy, I just, I, I loved it. You know, I loved serving my country. So how many years were you there? 20 years. 20 years. Yes. So you're a veteran. You're a big yes. time veteran. Did I'm, you do yeah, retiree? <laughs> were you on Ramstein? No, I, you know, I was just talking about that yesterday. No, I, I landed at Ramstein at, on my way to uh, Saudi Arabia, but I never, I never got to get out of the airport. So we, we had a layover there, but I never, I never got to go see Ramstein. <laughs> Did you, were you ever in combat? Um, got shot at when I was in Desert Storm. Yeah, I was, I was, I have combat orders, but you know, I was Air Force. So the army was doing the fighting and we were getting the, the jets up in the air. Okay. <laughs> That's got shot awesome, at one man. night, though. Really? As a yeah, comedian, was that funny or no? That was not funny. Uh, I was like, really? I'm in combat and I don't have a gun. So, yeah, I made, <laughs> you know, um, I was like, only me, but I'd be in a combat zone and not have a gun. <laughs> oh, you don't have a gun because you were Air Force? Or? Yeah, at that time, they've changed that since then because uh, our base was under attack. But uh, thank, thank God for the Army, the real military guys. They, they protected us. <laughs> Now, when did you find out you were funny? I mean, when I, when, when did you find out that? You know, I always tried to be funny as a kid, never imagined being a comedian. But when I was in, uh, in the Air Force, like the third or fourth year, they send you to leadership school for promotion. And it's a month-long school where every day you just go for this training. And the guy I sat next to had won the base talent show as a comedian. Uh, Michael uh -huh. Sykes, and uh, I was teasing him that I was funnier than him. And then a third guy jumped in and said, "You need, you need to try uh, the talent show with Michael." So Michael taught me the ropes when I started off. And um, when you know, you know that that power of a, a good joke that gets the crowd laughing. You know, once it's in your blood, boy, that's that's hard <laughs> to shake off. <laughs> that's, that's better than cocaine, man. Worse than cocaine. You can't. Yeah. You can't. You get. You get addicted to that. Yeah, that's I right. I remember asking Damon Wayans uh, years ago, uh, I said, what do you think of guys that once they get to a certain level, they stop doing comedy and they go on just to being actors and, you know, the movie stars or sitcoms. He said they were never really true stand up. A true stand up can never stop doing stand up, you know. So, you know, they were funny people. They were entertainers. But as far as being comedians, you know, yeah, because he was going, he was he was uh, in a personal crisis over his family wanted him to stop performing. He's like, I will always perform. This is who I am. So that's right. And that's, yeah. you know, that's what I always thought. I'm a comedian. I mean, if I ever do acting or anything on my tombstone, it would say comedian. It would not yeah. say anything else. Cause that's where we are. We're pure comedians. Exactly. And when did you, so you started in that, in that the talent show on the base or what do you call it? You guys don't call it base or pole on the base. Yeah, Army Air, Force Force, base. Air yes. Force Base. Yeah, you got and it. Started doing that, and did you keep going there, or you you just stopped? And then when you when you got out, you started doing comedy. Um, I was doing it while I was in. Once I got, uh, uh, once I started 
um, got that fever. I was doing all the open mics up in Sacramento, California, and then uh, stopped for a few years. But then I got the bug and I went to a comedy show and I was I knew I was funnier than the first two acts. Just, <laughs> so I was like, God, I got to get back into this. And when I started back into it, um, like a year later, I was on TV. So, you know, it's and I never looked back. So I finished my Air Force career. But the last 10 years of it, I was I had two careers going, my military and my comedy. Oh, that's wonderful. And uh, were you married at the time? Yes. So I was married to my wife when I started. And then um, she got sick. That's why I stopped. She got sick. Uh, thank God she made it through. But then like any like many young couples, we had our marital problems. She didn't want to be married to the Air Force. And that's what the enemy used to attack our marriage. And I was like, wow, I re-enlisted. I'm in, you know, so uh, we divorced young, but thank God we reconciled and we're back together. That's a great story. And it, it's funny. Uh, I think last year we did a show together and you brought your wife and she goes, that's my wife. I married her. She left me and now we're back together. And that's amazing. Yes. And you have how many kids? We have between the two of us seven. We have two of ours, and then the <laughs> we have the ours, the his, and the hers. <laughs> oh, the ours, two ours, two his, and hers. <laughs> yeah, we that's, were married. The first two boys are ours. <laughs> you can have a whole battalion for you, <laughs> just for yeah. your family. So, but, any of your kids doing comedy wants to do comedy or into that? My daughter could be really funny, and my daughter is very funny. Um, she she tries to she always tries to scare me around the house. She does funny little skits on the, the Instagram and the TikTok. But uh, my my son, uh, one of my sons tried. And my, my oldest son is a clown, not a stand-up comic, but he's, right. you know, he he's always getting in trouble for being too, trying to do stunts. And he's, he's in the military, so. He's uh, in the military. Yeah, wow. He's in the Army, uh, the, the Air Guard in Hawaii. So, um, oh. yeah, I'm proud of him that he's still serving our country. That's amazing. What a beautiful. So what was it like for you starting once you got out of the military, starting comedy in, I think, in the Bay Area and just were you were you a Christian back then? Were you doing clean stuff or no? no? When I went through divorce, I went through like, a, a, a you know, just a bad time in my life. And I was, I, you know, I, 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 I tell people I, I stopped following uh, the cross and start chasing stars because now I'm in the comedy scene and I'm getting a lot of breaks. And um, But it was 17 years ago that I rededicated my life to the Lord. So I thought comedy was done again because like, OK, I, what am I going to do? I didn't know that you could work clean. So uh, I started praying and the Lord blessed me with clean jokes. So, That's you know, amazing. Re, 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 renewed the mind so that I could think and think in a better way. <laughs> now, what is the difference between someone who's funny and someone who's a comedian like yourself and myself? I, because some people go, oh, I'm funny. I can do this. I just want people to hear the from your answer, the difficult, I mean, the difficulty of doing comedy. Here, here's the difference between a true comedian versus uh, what I call a joker or a clown. A comedian hears the silence. Ah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we hear what what doesn't work because we're pouring our heart into our jokes. Um, a joker only hears the laughter. So a joker, he could if you gave a joker ten minutes and he did four good minutes of jokes and the rest bombed, he would go home happy that he had four minutes of laughter. You or me, if we had a forty-five minute set and forty minutes went well, 
after the show, we're back in the hotel room going uh, five minutes. So yeah, that, what happened? That's no, a please. good point. That's a good point to put in. So what was, how difficult was your road to where you are today? How difficult was it? I, you know, I, I spiritually I had a tough journey, but comedy, um, I was, I was fortunate that I had the military. So I, I even had promoters tell me, don't get out because you don't have the stress. You have a steady paycheck. You have your benefits. You have everything. So you don't have the stress of going, man, if I don't come up with five new minutes of material this week, you know, so they encouraged me. They gave me examples of some stars that had, you know, stayed with their job until until they had made it to the next level. So I'm glad I stuck it out with the Air Force. That's that's awesome. So you 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 when you went on the road and traveled, did you have to stay in those condos or you have to, uh, or were were you at a level you know, where? You <laughs> I've been spoiled, you know, because I was so picky because I couldn't use. You know, in the military, you get 30 days of leave a year. I couldn't use my leave for bad gigs. So oh, okay. I was, you know, and the difference between a lot of funny people and the guys that make it to the next level are the breaks. You know, if you get a break, and I've been blessed to be friends with guys like Jamie Foxx or my used to write for Mike Epps. I write for, still write for Paul Rodriguez. Um, I've toured with Gabriel Iglesias. So when you're on traveling with those kind of guys, you know, it's, um, you end up getting nice hotels all the time. <laughs> that's, that's, what yeah. was it like working with uh, Fluffy? I mean, I remember Fluffy opened for me once long time ago at, uh, funny enough, in San Pedro at the Veterans Affair or the Veterans, uh, yeah, something like that. But he is, you know, he's very, you know, he's a big time. So what was it like working with him? I was supposed him? to be with him this weekend. May, I had 27 events uh, and services. Uh, I had uh, six prison ministry uh, services, um, a couple of other churches, six events with Fluffy, six Air Force shows. Uh, I was headlining the local comedy club for uh, Cinco de Mayo. So it was 27 events and services in May, including six with Fluffy, uh, with Gabriel. Um, I've known him since he was 19. Um, I tease him that I'm his I'm his little big brother because I'm way older than him. But, um, you know, he's if I I know he's busy and I know he's got the weight of the world on his, on his shoulders because when you're doing arenas versus doing a club or a theater, when you're, when you're headlining arenas around the world, that's a lot of pressure. Um, right. So, uh, but you know, I, I check in on him just to let him know I'm a friend, you know, I'll send him a text. He might reply. He might not, but if I needed something, I've done, and it's through the years, there's been a few times where I no shows and I had problems going on. I could hit him, Gabe. Can you spot me? Uh, can you spot me some money? And he writes back, "How much do you need?" And then next day, it's in my account. And he's like, "Yeah, I'll book you later on, and you can come and you'll work it off on one of my shows." So uh, he's he, he's got a huge heart, um, but I, I wouldn't want to be that famous. <laughs> that, that's that's hard, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so uh, what do you call? It? I don't know. I, I I don't know. It could be just me. I was thinking there was. I know there's this camaraderie with the about among the Latino comics. You guys are always doing like Latino night, and there's five big name comics. And but I don't know. Back in the days, of George Lopez and stuff, when we used, they used to say like, okay, if George Lopez is here, he doesn't want any Latino or any comics. Yeah, George, or, or, George is still and, like that. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like it's not like 
typical like the ego thing, Latino ego, or just because uh, you you know to say fluffy is like you know that's that's kind of helpful. And then you're writing for Paul Rodriguez and all that. That's amazing. See, Gabe, uh, Gabriel, and Paul. You know, they're they're the type of guys where they open doors. Gabriel has always taken other comedians on the road with him um, to help people, and guys have launched successful careers because of him. Um, Paul's the same way. Uh, George is George. He's he's unique. He, he he. I don't know had the mentality of there's only room for one. That's just foolish, you know. Um, yeah. So I, it's nice working in uh, in the in the clean comedy community and the Christian community where you end up getting brothers, you know, that don't matter what color. Hey, let's let's put the show together. Let's have fun, you know. So. Right. Uh, you mentioned something about prison fellowship because you know back uh, in. 20, some years, 20 years ago, I've been, I mean, I did with the Operation Starting Line and Prison Fellowship, and I've been to hundreds of prisons, but I haven't, I haven't gone for a couple of years. Can you tell people who are watching right now and listening, what is it like to go in into a prison and to perform and to, to impact? Um, I've, I've only done a handful, but they recently added me to the national uh, roster uh, prison fellowship. So, um, in November, I was at a prison right here in California where it's the medical facility. So everybody in there, the, the inmates all have uh, disabilities. But mm. um, after we had a great service and uh, so I do comedy and then at the end share somewhat of a testimony because my dad was a convict and the Lord saved him in prison and he went on to be a minister for 40 years. So Amen. I share that testimony in the prison. And then um, at the end, this blind man, he was early 70s african-american they brought him over to me and uh, he took his glasses off and he wiped tears and he said thank you i've been in here 32 years and i haven't laughed like that in 32 years oh bro i i i had to fight everything to not cry with him because it gave me such a sense of purpose you know that they they're really appreciative um and to be able to what blew me away one of the first time i did Folsom prison uh, that's what Johnny Cash did his uh, album, one of his famous yeah. albums. Um, the, the inmates were worshiping, freely raising their hands and worshiping God. And it just blew me away that there's people that have their freedom, but they're too bound up to free themselves to worship. You know, they got too much ego, too much pride, too much hangups. Um, those guys in the prison, they know the word and they know who they belong to. And they don't let the bars stop them from worshiping God. And so, I go in there and I, I get fed. You know, I'm in, I'm in there to minister, but I I come out blessed. Amen, amen. I mean, I I know I've seen I've seen prisoners myself where they have more freedom than people who are out, you know, outside yeah. the walls. Now, you you know, you mentioned something about your father was a convict. How old were you when he was a convict before coming to Christ? Oh, he he, he got saved in his early twenties. Got out of prison. Um, he was instantly delivered from heroin addiction. And so he served out his time because he sold to an undercover agent back in the early 50s. And when he was released, he came to church and met the pastor's daughter, who's my mom. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that he, he never had a minute alone with my mother until they got married because my mom was the oldest of nine. So one of my uncles was always with them if they were able to go out on a date. Very old school <laughs> Pentecostal family. And, um, so I only knew the good, you know, the the kind guy, you know, uh, I didn't know the thug. So uh, when he shared, I remember on his 50th birthday, he shared his testimony. He was pastoring at this point 
And a lot of the people in the church had no idea that this kind little soft-spoken man who was the pastor uh, could retire a police officer from beating him up so bad. He was he was a legitimate thug back, you know, back in the 50s where you uh, he didn't shoot people. He used your hands and he was a knockout artist. So he knocked out a police officer and stomped them into retirement. He was lucky that they didn't charge uh, minors with adult crimes back then because he literally retired a police officer. So when he when he shared his testimony that, hey, I was 11 years old when I was arrested for the first time. I was drunk from the bottle that I stole at the liquor store. Um, you could almost hear Jaws hit the pews, you know, but my dad loved the Lord. He's he been gone 17 years. He loved the Lord. And he had, he had a true Christ experience, you know, as my sister would say, that revolutionized his life. It changed him from being this uh, violent man, drug addict, to a very tender, compassionate man. And uh, he, he never looked at his testimony as a bragamony. See, a lot of guys get saved that come from the wrong side of the tracks. And then they want to brag about how bad they were. My dad rarely, unless he went to prison to share when he do prison ministry, then he would share his testimony to let the guys know I was better than you. And look what God did for me. So, Is that why you go to prison? Yes. Yes. Amen. To continue that legacy because that testimony, um, I, I've had men come up to me in the prison, man, that gives me hope because I would tell them my dad was my hero. And I had one guy come up to me and said, you know, I, I'm up for parole and I pray that I go home. I could be my children's hero because you know, look what God has done to me. He's changed my life in here. Now, we're comedians. Uh, what funny thing happened to you in the prison or in your... <laughs> so we fun? went, we went, I think it was August or September was the first time we went to Folsom. And right as we signed in, um, they had a power outage. The oh. entire prison had a power outage. So, you know, I'm prayed up and I'm excited. I've been wanting to go to... I wanted to go to Folsom and I want to go to San Quentin still. Um, so I have a bunch of people praying for me. I know I'm, I'm not scared. I got, I got a good support system. And they said, uh, okay, you guys can go in now. And uh, you, so Folsom is like, imagine like, like four city blocks with walls that are like four feet, uh, four feet thick, you know, 25 feet high walls. You can't escape Folsom. Um, <laughs> we get through the first gate. Then we go to the next area. And um, we're going, and now you, you have to pass through the prison area. Right. Uh, the, where, where, the, in, where the cells are. And the guys are in their cells, two men per cell, very small, and they're all staring at us. And I'm pointing at them, hey, you guys hang in there, you know, because they told me we treat them normal. But I still yeah. have confidence because they're behind bars. We get to the next area, and nobody was secured yet. The inmates are still out. Wow. <laughs> went from walking around with confidence to a nine, you know, an 1850s uh, Catholic monk. I was like, oh, the blood of Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that right there, uh, they finally had us leave after a half hour in the uh, in the Greystone Chapel. Uh, they had us leave. They said, it's getting dark and there's no light in the prison and we can't be responsible for your safety. So um, we had to leave, but thank God they had us come back and let us let us do the service in November, right there where Johnny Cash was. Praise God! Now you're a you're you're Air Force and you're a comedian. What what style did you use to raise your kids? Were you the serious veteran or you were the funny dad? The combination. Dad? Combination. Yeah, I remember because my mom would treat me different than she treated my brother, and I asked her about that when I was a kid. She said, each child is different. 
uh, when mm-hmm. I was a teenager, she said, if you talk back, that's out of your, that's out of character for you. She said, so I know I got to check you. My brother, he was a type where he could be getting a, a spanking and he still had to talk. She said, if I, <laughs> <laughs> so if I beat, if I beat your brother, every time he talked, uh, you know, I'd go to jail. So I learned that from young and each kid, um, disobedience and loss of self-control with the things that I raised my kids, where if you lose control, you're going to, you're going to be in trouble. Um, break, being a kid and breaking something, I was real clumsy. So I don't make a big deal about that. You know, I'm, so, um, my, my last son, my 10 year old, he's, he's on easy street compared to my first one, but you know, uh, each one is different. And then my daughter, I just have to look at her and tell her, uh, you disappointed me and that'll make her cry. She's 19. That'll still work right now. So (laughs) (laughs) one daughter, so she's spoiled. Yeah. My daughter, if I tell her that she'll go, well, it's your fault. (laughs) (laughs) You raised me. It's your fault. Uh, But that's funny. Now, what is, what motivates Dennis Gaxiola to be creative and write? Uh, What motivates you? What? uh... It's, um, it's who I am. I have to express myself. So that's, I guess that's a great question. That's, that's who I am. So if I don't, I just, I'll just, it's going to come out some way or the other. So now to be able to, you know, I, I've written two movies. We're trying to get one funded right now. Um, mm. I'm going to, I have a third that's on the back burner that actually people are going like, you need to finish that one. Cause it's such a good idea about God giving people 24 hours before they die. Um, mm. I got to finish that one. So that's going to be a Christian fiction, but it's going to make people think, what would you do if you knew all you had was 24 hours? Um, so it's, um, it's a great outlet just to be able to express myself. So, so what do you write every day? No, no, no. When something funny's happened. I'm, I think, you know how it is now when something funny happens in our life, um, we, we, we can, we can diagnose and go, that'd be, that'd be a great joke. It'll be a great story to tell on stage. You know, when we start out in comedy, for those that aren't comedians, when you start out where you have writing sessions and, oh, I have an idea about flowers. And you sit down with some friends and try to write a joke about flowers. Now, um, I, I had a conversation with Paul Rodriguez uh, two days ago. And as we're talking, I'm sitting there and he just gave me some premises. And by the time we were off the phone, the jokes were done. He has to, he has to do something for a, a show on TBS. And uh, he's like, hey, I need some material on this. And literally just, it just flowed. So, you know, after 27 years of doing stand-up, you know, I, I, I think I, we, you, you have an idea of what's funny and what's not funny and how to format a joke. Uh, right. Like one joke and this, it's TBS, so that's national. I don't think, I don't know how national, this is international. So I, I gave him the joke of, uh, so I, uh, Two holidays I had to spend in, in quarantine, I, uh, Easter and, and Cinco de Mayo. So uh, but I, for Easter, I had a, I had a cheese it, uh, a cheese it and a shot of tequila uh, for, for communion. And then Cinco de Mayo came, <laughs> I had a cheese it and tequila. If this quarantine goes on much longer, I'm going to have a drinking problem. <laughs> That's right. So how is the quarantining for you? I mean, you would, uh, is your seven kids with you right now at home no 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 just two are home my daughter and home. My ten, yeah just my daughter and my uh my 10 year old son they're the ones that are left home um my wife is on permanent disability she's fine but she's on permanent disability so we're used to being home a lot you know uh, we're spoiled because we're in our 50s but we we got to live like senior citizens you know we go do the matinee once a week and, <laughs> 
know, <laughs> we got to get that bucket of popcorn when it's on sale. And um, so we were used to that, but a lot of time just for us. But mm. this has been a challenge of, uh, of, you know, 61 days now. I think today's my neighbor was saying 61 days we've been on quarantine here in, uh, in our county. So um, I'm trying not to go crazy uh, as far as uh, wanting to get out and golf. I'm trying to be smart about everything. Um, gardening, teaching my 10-year-old my how to garden. And working on my yard that's that's been fun and then it's it's I, I had some I cleaned up a plot from last year and I, I made a little video out of it and in the there's my strawberry plot and there as I pulled the weeds to plant fresh strawberries for this year there was two old strawberry plants from last season that were mixed in with the weeds and they were, they were dead basically there's a little bit of life in them so I shook them out and I set them aside I redid the strawberry bed, new soil and everything. I fixed it up, planted my new strawberry plants. And then those two old plants, I shook out the weeds. And I planted them in fresh soil in little pots. Hey, maybe something will happen. Boy, a week later, they had blossomed. And now I put them in a bigger pot and they're beautiful and they're giving fruit. And, it, and I applied that to my life spiritually. And I, and I made a little video and I encourage people to speak life. You know, it's 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 so easy to see something get tangled up in weeds and turn our back on it and throw it away, discard it. But man, if you just help them shake off the weeds, shake off the mistakes, plant them in good soil and water them and speak life to them, you know, you, you can see God's hand move. And I, I'm thankful that when I went through the roughest time of my life, I had pastors reach out to me. You know, son, when when you're ready, my pulpit's yours. They knew I'd went through personal uh, personal attacks and spiritual warfare and. Uh, I'm thankful for men and women like that that spoke life to me. That's awesome. Now, being um, a Latino comic, uh -huh. let me ask you this question because this whole laughter falls about being real. <laughs> uh, have you noticed any racial uh, discrimination, anything yes. because you're. Yes, you have. Yes. Where? What part it, of the country? It broke my heart the most when it was for uh, Spirit West Coast. Oh. Yeah, in yeah. California. I've done that. Right in California. And I was so excited because I would had re recently dedicated my life to the Lord and I was, you know, finally making strides. And somebody connected me with them and they said, Yeah, we want to put you on the Latino stage. And I went, Latino? I said, we're, we're God's children. Oh, yeah, but it's not the main stage. You'll be on the other side of the festival where we have a stage for Latinos. And I went, Oh, my God. I was like, No, nah, I'm good. I, said, I deal with that in the world. You know, I don't need to deal with that in the church. So that kind of thing really, really uh, just tweaked me where I was like, wait, we're all one body of Christ. I don't even speak Spanish. So you don't even speak. I, I, I can order a burrito with no onions. <laughs> I can order my burrito with no onions. And then when they talk back to me in Spanish, I turn into the rest of you guys. I'm like, gracias. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Born here and all that. And uh, yeah, because I. Uh, I personally think, I mean, this is my own personal thing, being Middle Eastern, and I don't think this country is racist at all. I know it's not, but there's people, there's few people that are, and uh, yes. and unfortunately, sometimes you see that in the church more than than the world, you know, in the conservative sections yeah. of the church, where, uh, and you go, wait a minute, oh, you're Palestinian, oh, we don't like those people, <laughs> like, wait, I'm your brother in the Lord, and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, so uh, that, but that didn't, you know, it wasn't to where it discouraged you, to where it hurt. No, it just, no. it just, I, I, 
ignorance is bliss. And there's people that are in the pure sense of the word ignorant. They just don't know better. There's no malice. There's a problem when it's malicious. You know, then now we got a sin issue. But there's ignorance out there. It depends on where you come from. I, and I learned that from my time in the military. I literally worked with people from all around the country. So right. I have friends uh, from the service uh, that are from all around the country that ha- come from all different walks. And 20 years of dealing with people from all around the country, you learn, okay, if you're from this region, you're going to have this point of view. Um, so you learn to get along with people. And then in, uh, in, the, in the church, uh, if, if I, I say it on, on the pulpit, I say, if you're uncomfortable with the multicultural church, don't worry about heaven. <laughs> you you won't be there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're gonna have a problem up there. Uh, We're all gonna be around the throne of God speaking Spanish. It's gonna be beautiful. Oh, is it Spanish? I thought it was uh, like Hebrew or Arabic or stuff. I always tell people. He named him son Jesus. <laughs> you know, see, I always brag like when God decided His son to come, what ethnicity He made a Middle Eastern. I'm like, hey, because <laughs> you have to work all day, all night, and that's what Jesus did. He had to work all day, all night to. <laughs> so you gotta be Middle Eastern. <laughs> what 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 languages do you speak? I speak Arabic, English, and Spanish. Uh, wow, that's awesome. Bit. I mean, I can get away with Spanish to get myself out of trouble, but. Uh, so, uh, what is the funniest thing that happened to you as a comedian traveling? You know, something happened with a club or with the church or something. Do you do you have any funniest? I love, we love to hear those. <laughs> yeah. I had one church where the pastor hit me at the last minute for a midweek service right here in the Bay Area. He said, hey, bro, I, I have to take care of, he, he got called out, to, uh, out of town. Um so he said, my wife will be running the service, but can you speak? Uh, come in, do, you know, do your comedy and then share your testimony. I was like, sure. Well, the wife never in- introduced me as a comedian. So I get up there and, you know, and I'm struggling because the people got their Bibles. They're ready for the word. And I'm up there joking around. I finally said, did you tell them I was a comedian? <laughs> a comedian. I, I have there's, there's unique things that happen. Uh, a cat came in. This is my favorite one. I was doing a show up in uh, Auburn, California. That's okay, a, I know. A beautiful I, I country up there. I have a small part of that area where they have an old schoolhouse barn, a red barn, beautiful in this little community. And they have the, it's like a cafeteria, but they had it set up like theater seating and a stage. And I was on the stage and the side of the barn was open and a cat came in. A cat? A cat. And <laughs> I told everybody, shh. As the cat got right in front of the speaker, I made a dog bit a loud barking sound to the microphone. <laughs> Hardwood floor. And so when you see a cartoon where the cat's legs go out, I saw that in real life because that cat, all four legs went different directions. It spun on the on the wooden floor and then shot out the door. And I just stopped and said, I'll never relive that moment again. I'll never make that happen again. How could you follow that with what? I mean, you can't follow that with material after that. Right. The people were cracking up. Um, that's, that's what we live for. It's because we know our jokes. Yeah. You, you've heard all your jokes. I've heard all my jokes. So funny moments that happen on stage, um, spontaneous type stuff. Um, that's what we live for. And every, every show, I try to find something fresh, messing with the audience. I had a lady fall at a comedy club that was heckling me. And she was drunk. And I... Uh, and I 
I, I put her in place without being vulgar and she got up and she was a heavy set Latina and she got up to go use the restroom and she fell. And all the, you heard a thump and then you heard her friend go, she fell. The club exploded. And I literally <laughs> told her, I have nothing funnier than this. <laughs> yeah, you can. <laughs> you know, it's hard for us as, you know, well, comedian. I always say a Christian comedian is someone who's uh, who wants to honor God anywhere in a club, in a corporate, in a yes. bar, and in a church. But it's harder for us with hecklers now. I mean, yes. I used to, before I come to Christ, when a heckler comes in, I would burn him. I mean, that would be yes. my goal, the whole show, just to get him. Now, as a Christian, I was like, your hands are tied. You can't. <laughs> I'm, I'm still pretty quick, and I have some standard lines, but I had a, this was a powerful one, because some people, are, and I know the churchy, churchy people are like, why would you still be in a club? I was at a comedy club in Sacramento, um, and right when I came out, I'm headlining the show, there was a pretty big Mexican guy, very pale with some facial tats and neck tats, which would tell me the prison tats, uh, right. a Raiders hat, and I'm a Raider fan, uh, he, he got a Raiders hat kind of tilted to the side, but he looked real pale, so the first thing I said on stage was, whoa, what's up, bro, you look like the ghost of Raiders past. But the club laughed. <laughs> he laughed. But after the show, I'm, I'm like five feet from the bar. I have a merchandise table set up. I'm five, right. six feet from the bar. Christopher comes up to me and, and he says, uh, you know why I'm so pale? I have stage four cancer. I had chemo today. Ouch. Yes, ouch. But I said, bro, God has delivered my wife from cancer four times. Can I pray with you? Here we are, five feet from the bar, Nazareth, and uh, I held his hand and his then girlfriend's hand, and we prayed. And then, uh, like a month later, he said, "Man, I got a report back. I don't have cancer anymore." Amen. Amen. So, wow. I, I, that's why I still go to clubs. Opportunities like that to plant a little seed. And you know, about a year later, he wrote and wrote a note to me. Uh, he said, "Thank you for changing my life, introducing me to Jesus." Yeah. So, See, this was know. a lot of people, especially a lot of, and some pastors don't know that. That we as comedians, we're we're also. I mean, I'm an ordained pastor. I'm sure you yeah. preach. I mean, you preach. I mean, they they don't know that we are serious people. We're not we're not clowns. And right. sometimes we have opportunities after. You know, when I do clubs or corporates, this is the, what I hear most of the time is, uh, "Hey, I need to go back to church." I'm like, I didn't even mention I was a Christian. They go, I need to go back to church. And it's stuff like that. And you end up witnessing to people or praying with them or help and the prison stuff and all that. So that's amazing. I, I love I love your heart. And uh, uh, what is your, how how is your act? Are you writing new stuff because of the quarantine right oh, yeah. now? Yeah, it, the, the quips about what's going on now, you know, uh, the jokes write themselves. It's, it's our job to pull them out of the muck. You know, I, I had a joke the other day where I said, uh, I went to the grocery store, I got my mask on and the lady said, when I'm done paying, she said, do you need a receipt? I said, lady, I'm Mexican with the mask. I need a receipt and a note <laughs> for the security <laughs> guard. <laughs> I, I, I just want some snacks. I don't want to get shot, you know? So <laughs> no, I tried to hug my wife. Funny. She said, six feet full. <laughs> I know that's, that's yeah. That's what I tell people. Go, we're gonna have a new bed. I'm like, if you can, if you get six feet apart, then good for you. Uh, so what is it? So how is your act? Uh, your perf you know, your I haven't seen you in a couple of years. How has your act evolved now that you're in that stage of your career? And that's I mean, Drybar. Tell me about Drybar. What has Drybar done for you? 
It, uh, Dry it really Bar is. has been amazing. It's open doors. Because, um, what you know, I'm in my 50s. If you don't make it to the A-list by the time you're in your 50s, you know, what are you doing pretty much? You know how comedy is. There is ageism in comedy. Um, dry Bar's open doors for me all around the country. I've literally had people from all around the world hit me, you know, from Europe, from Africa, from the Caribbean, going, hey, you want to come to this festival? So Dry Bar has opened those doors. But the most powerful lesson I've learned uh, over the last couple of years, like I had a little church in uh, Ohio contact me and they said, uh-huh. uh, would, would you come? We're doing a fundraiser for a missions trip. Would you be willing to come to Ohio? And I said, yes, love to. And I'm all excited. You know, and she, and she says, uh, how much do you charge? And I said, well, I'll work with your budget. And she said, <laughs> well, we, <laughs> we have 40 people. And in the back of my mind, you know, I'm thinking with my flesh, I'm like, boy, they can't even afford my airfare. But right. I could hear, I could hear in my spirit something say, say yes. So I said, yes, I'll be there. I said, get my ticket and a hotel room and a, a love offering. So I was going to perform Saturday and preach Sunday. So I went out there for that. But when I said yes to them, a couple hours later, I got a call from a church in Texas, 14,000 members that uh, blessed me with more than I've ever been paid to do stand-up comedy at a church, uh, you know, and so by saying yes to the little, the Lord blessed me with uh, something that took care of enough bills for a couple of months. Amen. That's that's God. You know, he's not yeah, a debtor to man and he always comes through. And yeah, sometimes you feel like you go, oh, no, I, I, you know, I've been doing this for too long to do this kind of numbers, the audience or that money. But then something in your heart goes, no, you need to do it. You need yes. to do that. Um, what do you call it? I want I want to. What do you tell a new comedian that's one that's going, you know what? I want to be a comedian. This is what I want to do. I want to do this. I want to be like Dennis. I want to be like that. I want to be like, what do you tell that person? To write their story. And the first few years, your job isn't really to be funny. Your job is to get comfortable talking, to find your voice, to find your rhythm, your style. And if you're not 30 years old yet, it's really hard to be funny, you know, so live life a little bit, but write, you have to write your story, your perspective. There's very few original jokes left. Um, so write your perspective. And as long as you know, you're writing your story and your perspective of what you're experiencing. Um, Cause there's, there's, there, you know, if there's 10,000 comedians, there's 10,000 jokes about wearing a mask right now. So there's nothing, right. original, but you got to do it from your perspective. You know, my perspective was, heck, yeah, I need a receipt when I leave this store, <laughs> you know. Um, so, you know, just write yeah. your perspective and know I, I, if somebody ever questions one of my jokes, I could tell them where I wrote it. And right. why I wrote it, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's, write, that's right. 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 Get on stage. Don't worry about nights where you don't get the big laughs as long as you're learning. And then after each show, what could you have done better? I still do that. What could I have done better? what was beyond my control and it is what it is, you know, um, and, and just go from there and try to learn each show, you know. What do you tell some comedians who are right now going, I wonder if we ever going to get back to where we are as comedians or get an audience or get a big audience or have shows. What do you think? What is your perspective on that? It's not going back to what it was, not for a few years. So if you're not willing to adjust, if you're not willing to do a Zoom show um, and learn technology, I mean, I've become friends with Sinbad and Sinbad is a tech geek and Sinbad's been in the game longer than most of us. And for him right. to be evolving and learning, and he'll, 
he could spend an hour talking to Sinbad just on what's available right now because he's researching and, and he's like, Dennis, don't do it like this, do it like that. So if you're not willing to evolve, then your story's done. Then you're going to move on to something else because um, I remember talking to a, a friend that works with a very big company and doing big tours. He's, they're projecting where guys that are doing large tours will now be in small theaters, not even big theaters. So the guys that are doing the small theater shows are now going to be going back to the clubs. The 300 seat club is now going to be able to sit a hundred people. So if right. you got, your A-list comics are now headlining the clubs, uh, a lot of your guys are going to get pushed down to the open mics, you know? So um, you got to be writing, but you got to be not, not afraid to use technology. Right. Well, that's uh I had a $500 uh, yeah. gig for a friend. This church asked me to reach out to this guy that they were willing to pay him four or $500 for doing a Zoom show for them. He refused. He refused? He refused because he, he, he wasn't comfortable talking to a computer. And I couldn't get it through his head that you're going to have other screens on your computer and you'll see the people laughing, hear the people laughing. Oh, no, I'm just, I need an audience. Well, well until we get an audience back, he's done. You know, right. doing what you're doing with these interviews, being being available, uh, being available and using technology, you're, you're foolish if you don't. You know, one thing we learned as comedians is, you know, you know, your timing. We know your timing. And, yep. you know, uh, in the beginning, when we started comedy, we bombed. So we know, <laughs> you know, timing. <laughs> so when doing Zoom is like, is this an audience or a Zoom <laughs> meeting? But yep. I just did one couple of days ago and they paid like four or five hundred bucks then. And I just did 20 minutes and I did a, I put, I put, you know, the background, it was the brick uh, thing. I stood up, I had a mic and a mic stand just to get the feeling. And I had all the people on the zoom, what fits in the screen. There were yeah. like 90 people on it. And, uh, and I was, you know, and they turned the laughter on, but some people had like background, Hey, stop talking in the back, talking to their kids. But, uh, the people I focus on what, like we do in comedy, I focus on one person that was laughing. A lot. That lady that I, was screaming was from Arkansas with a lot of kids. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I focus on the person that's laughing. Exactly. And, that, and I kept my timing based on that person. So, yeah, we, we, you can do that as comedians. We can. And that maybe that's the thing for now until yep. we get to, you know, we're going to end up like sometimes instead of doing one show for a church, we're going to end up do two or three that night just to get the people within six feet and still get the the number yeah. of audience it's yeah, important so. to learn learn how to use the technology i had i did a single de mile show and had comedians from new york chicago texas and california so we had people from all three time zones um and but uh, mark Vieira, very funny comedian out of new york when it was over that was his first time doing a podcast and when it was when uh when it was over he he sent me a text thank you for giving me the feeling of normal because as a comic we're used to talking and people it's instant acceptance instant rejection and mm. that laughter is we accept you you know so he he really appreciated just that that little bit of time uh of being able to hear people laugh as he told jokes to feel normal yeah i would yeah. ask also to go to a church and do seven minutes up front to the camera but you just feel good to go out and go to the and look at the camera as if you're doing a you know, doing a T, what do you call that TV show? You're just talking to the camera. Uh, uh, so tell me, uh, you mentioned something earlier and uh, about your wife was sick. She had cancer and yes. 
you were together at the time. How did you handle it as a, as a husband? Um, her brother was an incredible man of faith. And I think uh, Rodney, I think he had over 40 major surgeries. Um, he went from being a football player to being a um, man blind with no kidneys in a wheelchair from a genetic disorder. And mm -hmm. I remember the first time she got sick, he called me up and said, don't listen to anything negative. Put your trust in the Lord. And um, so anybody that had something negative to say, and the first time she was diagnosed with a brain tumor, uh, the week we found out, one of her cousins, because it's a family genetic disorder, one of her cousins had the same diagnosis, had surgery, and post-surgery didn't make it. Mm. So when we went to his funeral, the family knew of her diagnosis, and they were looking at her like, well, you're next. You know, it was such a morbid, morbid out view, out, outlook on life. But her brother Rodney taught me, you know, we were young, we were kids. And he said, anybody says anything negative to you, shut them out. So uh, that's what I do, you know, and she's endured. And she said, I, I, I don't feel like I'm a cancer survivor. Um, she said, because I didn't have to go through chemo. You know, I was, thank God I was able, they caught it every time early. And I was like, well, that was the hand of God. That was grace. You, mm -hmm. you have survived cancer. So um, she's, she's a, I tell people I'm the public speaker, but she's the better Christian. She, she just has wonderful faith. <laughs> that's, that's my wife. Same thing, you know, better believer than me. Now, what are you, what are you working on? Is there anything you're working on? Any projects coming up? I'm anything? Working on a channel, uh, as you know about this, NAS knows about this, where I'm loading. Since, since we were shut down, we can't shoot any new specials or new shows. Um, I'm gathering, uh, projects from comedians that are already completed and I'm loading them onto one channel and for $1.99 a month people will be able to view 24 hours of clean Christian comedians and uh, what I'm doing with that once we get it launched I promised all the guys I will not launch anything until I get them contracts um, I, so I, I still have a handful of projects uh, to load up to the channel then we're going to launch it and then we'll be able to bless all the comedians. That's one thing Drybar taught me was to be transparent. Uh, these people are the most transparent. They send me a quarterly report to show me how my special is doing. So I want to do that with uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ and bless them. You know, it, it's nice at once a quarter to get a four or five thousand, ten thousand dollar check from something that was sitting on your shelf, something that you had sitting there already. So that's that's the goal to uh, model it after dry bar and uh, see if we can bless everybody. So it's going to be called the color of comedy. So, cause it's going to be a uh, white comics, black comics, Latino comics, uh, middle Eastern comics, comics that shot their specials in their own element. So, um, cause when you go to Utah to shoot a special, um, White people yeah. are in Utah. It's the whitest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People, if you don't know what Dry Bar, Dry Bar is a channel by VidAngel, and it's uh, the top uh, clean comedy channel right now. And uh, they they help careers, and they help comedians, uh, you know, to, to show their clean comedy. And a lot of comedians are already been working clean, so it was easy for us to do it. But then there were people who had to clean up and do some of that. Yeah. But it's really, it's really got to get one uh, i don't know 1.5 million or 15 million uh, subscribers to the channel wonderful so really wonderful big. people they're wonderful they've opened doors um they've opened doors for a lot of clean comics but they proved they have set records uh dry bar comedy has set all-time records for viewership um for comedy 
And that's amazing because it's all clean comedy. You know what that says? That our culture, our people, American or people around the world want clean comedy. Yes. And uh, I'm glad we, we got onto the boat early on. So yeah. praise God for that. You're, you're a trailblazer, Naz. Well, you, well, you thank opened you doors too. for a lot of us. Well, you too, man. Thank you so much. I, what do you tell people who are not comedians, but scared and anxious right now? What do you say to them as we close this uh, podcast? The, the scripture that has resonated with me through this whole time is uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1, and I, I love it in, in the Passion Translation because it, it, the only proof I need to, uh, only thing I, I only have, the only thing that proves my faith is because God said it. That's, that's uh, the Dennis translation. I got my Bible in front of me and I'm using the phone to watch this too. So um, <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's a simple faith. I believe I'm going to make it because God said I'm going to make it. You know, um, it's just that simple faith. But I would encourage everybody read read Hebrews eleven one and put that into put that into. Uh, I got it right here. No, I got to read it now. Since yeah. brought it up, I would faith is the substance of things. Uh, so yes, but yeah, I love the whole of faith. Yeah, I, it's right here. I got it right here. Um, now faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes a foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. That, that's the, the foundation of uh, my piece and the foundation of uh, how I'm getting through it is, uh, is that I, I, that's my foundation. It's my faith. It's, it's, that's what it's tied to. The only evidence I need to prove that I'm going to make it is that I believe God said it's going to be done. Amen. Amen. And how can people get a, get a hold of you? I think all my social media, I'm horrible on social media, um, is Comedian Dennis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's easy. I see people on the page asking, who is this guy? Uh, but it's Comedian Dennis. I'm Comedian Dennis. and uh, ComedianDennis.net. ComedianDennis.net. Dennis got you a website. lot. Yeah. 51 million views in one of his comedy bits. Uh, that's Comedian yeah, Dennis Gaxiwal, a very, very funny Christian, loves the Lord. And by the way, uh, I want you to, okay, I want to thank you so much for, uh, Dennis, for your time, taking the thank time. Thank you, Naz, for having me. Uh, I want to remind you guys, every night at 8.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, I do have my show, Life with Naz, Quarantining and Corona. So tune in where you are the comedian, not me. I will, I will ask you questions, and you guys come up with funny stuff, and we'll laugh for an hour, and then... I'll ask for prayer requests and then close with uh, an encouragement. So tune in every night except Sunday under Comedian Nazareth One. Not where we're at right now, but Comedian Nazareth One. Dennis, thank you so much for your time. God bless you. Well, I hope we can work together again in a big audience. Definitely. God bless you. Love you, you, man. Love you too, bro. God bless. Bye-bye.